Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello there. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm really, really good. Welcome to Bear Bag, the podcast where we navigate our lives together as a power bear couple. A power bear couple this week. I like it when you get powerful. And we discuss the quirks of our respective cultures. I am Ben and I am very much a British person. And I am Benka, and I'm quintessentially Argentinian. (laughs) I love it when you use a word longer than three syllables. Big words, big words. (laughs) You you love big words. So what's coming up this week, Bab? We have a guest! Yes! We'll be chatting to fashion designer, stylist to the stars, and TV presenter Joey Bevan. Cheeky, chatty and charming quite frankly, in equal measure. I'm hoping you'll be able to give us some tips to take us beyond our usual jeans and a nice top. I mean, you do like jeans and a nice top. I love a jeans and a nice top, but I feel like it's 2022 and I need a new wardrobe. Do you need more wardrobe? There's literally about 50 t-shirts. You have 50 different t-shirts, about (laughs) 15 jumpers, about 10 or 12 pair of trousers... Do you really need more wardrobe? I mean, this is first world problems. We have the luxury of a walk-in wardrobe. And I probably think about 80% of it is my clothes. Yes. And Ben has got like a little tiny section. To be fair, I think that is quality against quantity. Oh, she's been a bitch tonight. Mm, Let's hear what Joey has to say. (laughs) Hopefully I can get some top tips, chuck out the chintz and get out some lovely new lines for the summer. Yeah, and we can warm ourselves by burning some of your clothes. No, charity baby. Okay, charity. One thing that I do want to talk about, we're still in February just about, is that February is in the UK LGBT plus history month. Now, it's celebrated every year in February because February was the month when Section 28 was abolished, which was back in 2003. What was Section 28, Bob? Thank you for asking. Section 28 was the law that prevented the promotion of homosexuality by local authorities, which essentially meant that schools and libraries couldn't talk about, you know, gay people. and Shh. About gays. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, it's a fantastic reason to celebrate the ending of this awful, awful law. And that's why LGBT plus History Month is celebrated every year in the UK throughout February. And I think that is also important uh, as a reminder, because realistically, when we talk about the abolition of Section 28, we're not talking about the 70s, are we? No, no. We're not talking about the 80s, are we? No. We're not talking about the 90s? No. So what year was it, was it repealed? 2003. So it wasn't that long ago, if you think about it. Yeah, and I think that's that's the thing, you know, we have to remember as queer people, we've come so far, but yet there's still so much to to get through. And, uh, you know, w- we often think about countries around the world, but actually here in the UK, there are still a lot of problems and a lot of hurdles that queer people, you know, have to face, often on a daily basis. 
So LGBTQ plus History Month, I've been involved for years, is absolutely fantastic. It's intended as a means to raise awareness of and combat prejudice against the LGBTQ plus community while celebrating our achievement and diversity and just making ourselves more visible. And for us, in our own little special way here on Bareback, I'd really like to mark LGBT plus History Month by just spending a couple of minutes to talk about two of our queeros, so queer heroes who we look up to and admire. So, Ben Hurt, who who do you look up to as an LGBTQ plus person? Well, I think that I've already talked about this person before uh, on the podcast, but I think that I do have to say Chris Miro. Mm-hmm. Now... Chris Miro was what at that time was called a transvestite. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit, I don't know, I don't like the word. I don't know, it kind of was used as an insult for so long that it kind of has that connotation. But she identified as a transvestite yeah. when she got notoriety. She wasn't the first drag queen or trans person to get notoriety. Vanessa Show did it in the 70s in Argentina. But... I think that Chris Miro was the first one that got sort of national notoriety and got some sort of acceptance within the entertainment industry as she was. So she went to a transition where at first I think she identified as a drag queen. And in Spanish we used to call it transformista, which was sort of like a difference between transformista and a travesti. So a transformista was a drag queen, a transvestite was someone who dressed in women's clothes but not necessarily worked. And that um, word, that transformista, is, yeah. that a, is that a negative word? Is it a positive word? Is it neutral? To be fair, I think it's a positive word. I think it's just like drag queen. Uh, it's just a word in Spanish in Argentina for it. And later she identified as female, so she probably when identified as transgender. However, this was in the 90s. So the word transgender, particularly in Argentina, it didn't exist yet. So it was very difficult to classify herself. She became uh, notorious in the mid-90s because she auditioned to participate in what is one of the most popular uh, theatre genres in Argentina, which is the Review. Mm Mm-hmm. Basically, so how would you explain review to a British person? Is it like cabaret? So it's like a comedy cabaret. So it's like a theatre show and there's a lot of dancing with a lot of women in barely anything and a lot of feathers. <laughs> but there's normally some sort of storyline. So it's normally headlined by a comedian. And then you have sort of all of the dancing around it. Now, she auditioned and she was one of the first, if not the first, and definitely the most notorious at that time in the 90s basically i think at that stage was a drag queen because she was she would perform as a dancer as a woman mm-hmm. um on those shows um but then she really had a difficult um a, a difficult time i i remember she went to have lunch with Mirta Legrand remember that show that we talked about yeah where you had lunch with this old lady and uh, Mirta Legrand was, she was quite bad. I mean, I think retrospectively looking, she was really bad. I don't know if at that time it was considered for that to be kind of like a vicious interview, but she was asking questions about Chris Miro uh, sort of knowing that he was a man, you know, and knowing that deep down he was a man. And she kept referring to her as him, 
Right. Retrospectively, it's seen as a very awkward and uh, and difficult interview. But I think that she definitely opened the door for a lot of LGBTQ people. Certainly, now we have still have Flor de la Vez, who's um, very similar. He's a, a transgender, male to female, and she's a comedian. She's been in review as well. She has her own talk show. She's done really well, and she couldn't have done it without Chris Miró before her. I think Chris Miró lived a life just trying to be comfortable being herself. And I think that she got a lot of criticism by the LGBTQ community as well, as her trying to pass Mm. as female and as being, yes, being a transgender person in the entertainment business, but doing it as a femme Mm. transgender that could pass as female, if if you like. So she didn't have an easy life and she... um, died in 1999 it was quite secret for a a bit of time they said she had cancer and apparently she did what we didn't know but everyone kind of talked about it because it was the 90s and people talked about it like that is that she actually had hiv aids and the cancer was an effect of the last stages of aids but i think that she lived a short career a relatively short career she met presidents. She was linked to having to having have a relationship with Diego Maradona. Um, she really was very unapologetic. She just felt like herself. She didn't define herself as anything other than herself. I think that nowadays it sounds like not that much, but I think that in Argentina in the early and mid nineties it was huge. And I think that it changed a lot of people's perception of what a transgender person is, of what artists can be. And also what a transgender person isn't as well. Yeah, as I think, well. I think that's that's important to remember. And I, and I think that whether you like it or not, as much as your old lady around the corner would still refer to you as, as that lad rather than that woman, it still started the conversation. Yes. Whether people were ready or not, she started a conversation and she didn't necessarily want to. She wasn't necessarily an advocate for sort of being anything but herself. But I think that's true throughout history. Anybody who's kind of fought against the grain and tried to be, you know, trying to change the way society thinks, they've always kind of been reluctant heroes, haven't they? Yeah, I think so. And again, I think that the impact that she's had in the LGBTQ community... In Argentina, I don't think... Well, I think she died knowing only a little bit of it. So, whereas I'm not particularly a fan of review theatre, I think that the impact that she had in Argentinian culture was absolutely massive. She was a transgender woman where the transgender word didn't exist yet. And she was out, she was proud. And as she said, she just wanted to be herself. So what's yours? What's your queero? My queero is cryptographer Alan Turing. Oh, I do like a little bit of Alan Turing. The founder of modern computing and artificial intelligence. I mean, the list of accolades related to that man is just incredible. I guess most people know him as one of the code breakers who cracked the Enigma codes Mm -hmm. in the Second World War at Bletchley Park, which a lot of historians have looked back and said, you know, it basically shortened the the second world war by i think about four years and you know imagine all the other people who would have died as a result of that so his work was paramount it's such an interesting character 
and quite open about his sexuality as well, I think, at that time, even when he was at Bletchley Park. I mean, he was a very quirky character, some great stories about him. He, he was a keen runner. He used to run from Bletchley Park, which is near Milton Keynes, to London every weekend. So wow. he used to run 40 miles and go out in London. Like two marathons, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, essentially. And he was very particular about his things. He didn't have a lot of things, but at Bletchley Park he had a mug and he wouldn't let anybody else use that mug. So he chained it to the radiator. And if anybody's seen the film about his life, which stars Benedict Cumberbatch, I think he won an Oscar for that, didn't he? Don't know. There is, in the background of a lot of the scenes, there is the, the cup chained to the radiator. But it was really, really sad because after the war, he moved to Manchester. He was a a university lecturer there and he continued his work into artificial intelligence. And he was burgled in 1952. And when the police came round, they were asking for a list of suspects. And he was honest and said that he'd had a man round the house and that they were having a relationship. And essentially, he told them that he was homosexual. And of course, at that time, it was illegal to be gay. And he was one of several thousand men at that time who was given an option, you can either go to prison or you can be chemically castrated. Which, you know, to think about that happening in this country within living memory for a lot of people that we know is just absolutely shocking. And whether it was related to that or unrelated, he did then commit suicide in 1954. So again, a life tragically cut short, but such an inspiration for our community. The thing is about Alan Turing and his story is that, again, I think that it really showcases why LGBTQ plus History Month is absolutely needed. You've talked about all of his accolades, the breaking of the Enigma Code, shortened the World War II, so how many lives did did he save? Brilliant lecturer, but still was incarcerated and still was persecuted. So all of those accolades meant nothing for people who just hated others because of who they loved absolutely absolutely now of course as time's gone on he and i think all the people who were chemically castrated during that time have had an official pardon from the government but still it's really sobering to think that something like that could happen particularly when all those atrocities had happened in the second world war and then human beings could still go on to do things like that so it makes you so grateful to live in the time that we're living in, but also reminds you that you must never, ever, ever forget. No, and you must never, ever stop fighting. Okay, Bab, well, this week we are delighted to welcome superstar fashion designer stylist and TV presenter Joey Bevan. Now he's part of the squad on TV's You Are What You Wear. This Essex chap has styled some of the biggest stars in showbiz, but he's also an LGBTQ body positive and mental health activist, not to mention promoting sustainability in the fashion world. And he has his own popular food blog. Oh, and his moustache has its own Twitter account as well. I found that really? the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he joins us here on Bareback today. Joey, thank you so much for taking time out to speak to us today. First of all, I have to ask, how do you fit it all in? I've always been like it, to be honest, guys. But first of all, hey, it's nice to see you guys looking handsome, you big, berry-looking, furry beasts. But I've always been like that since I was a kid. Always. I've just always been go, go, go. And I think this is the thing is when you're freelance, it's like fingers in the pies. 
So I've always, you know, I do commercial modeling as well. I write. So it's like literally an umbrella of different things because, you know, it's survival. You've got to make the money. So sometimes you get more styling. Sometimes like through the pandemic, the styling went down. So I did a bit more writing, um, interviews and more education. So, yeah, it just sort of varies, but it's under that umbrella. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your origins, where you come from. So how is it that this umbrella grew to be what it is today? All the origin stories. I feel like a Marvel superhero. <laughs> Basically, I have always been obsessed with fashion, like watching Disney films. Um, when I was younger, my dad taught us from a young age because he came from a poor family. Like we we made paper dolls. It sounds like I'm from like 1930, but I promise you it wasn't. It was fun. But we used to put sellotape on these like underwear dolls and then I would make clothes and we'd use blue tack tape here and then we could change the clothes. So... I've always been like that. I remember cutting up the Disney prince. My sister had these Disney princess dolls that were on a shelf. She wasn't allowed to touch them. They were boxed. Like what parents buy limited edition Disney princess dolls and keeps them in the box. One day my mum and dad were like, right, we're just going to pop up the shops. We'll be like 30 minutes, 45 minutes top. While they were gone, my sister was going on about the Spice Girls and that she wanted the Spice Girls dolls. So I was like, I've got an idea. So Off I go up to her room, to the shelf, get all these limited edition, expensive princess dolls downstairs, go through my mum and dad's underwear drawer, get in lace, knickers, socks. And then I'll sit there turning Ariel into Ginger, Aurora into Baby Spice. What is it? Pocahontas was Scary Spice. Snow White was Sporty. And my mum and dad come back and I'd done the whole Kappa tracksuit. Everything they were so angry, and when my mum was pulling out dresses from her wardrobe, there was like a little cut out of a t shirt. Oh no, I know. So I was a terror from back then, but my mum gave me an old vintage 70s sewing machine that was in one of those tables that you kind of opened up. And I remember the first time I got, I bought a pattern and I made a shift dress, and it was so awful. And it was made out of leopard print, and I made my mum wear it, she just looked like Cat Slater. Literally after a, a night of a thousand men. <laughs> I've always wanted to do it since I can remember. So the first memory I have probably say like four or five, I've always wrapped duvets around me and a belt, my dad's belts to make dresses and how it feels. And I used to look at it, uh, sorry, buddies trying to jump up at me. This way he's rustling. No, buddy. Um, come on, come up. Hi, buddy. This is buddy. <laughs> oh, what a handsome boy. I oh, know, he's such an attention seeker. That's my dog, by the way, guys, if you, you can't see. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, by the way, this is a podcast where people aren't seeing Buddy. Well, so. no, I was sitting there thinking, who's Buddy? Buddy could be my boyfriend for all they know. Which is not, I'm going to say this, but I'm single. Single and ready to mingle, and I want to meet someone. So I'm going to use this podcast to meet Absolutely. sexy, hairy, lumberjacky Canadian, if possible. We do have a lot of listeners in Canada. Yeah, we well, do. There you go. I'm ready to live in the woods. Both coasts, actually. Not so much in the middle. So if you're happy with Vancouver or Toronto, we've probably got you sorted. Do you like the Asher House? Do you follow the Asher House? What's that? Lee Asher. Oh, my God. You you need to get on there. Lee Asher and his dogs. He lives in the woods and he's this gay guy and he is fit. Fit. He's like six foot fit. (laughs) And he is fit. And he does looks after and rescues dogs. And any man that's standing there with a pair of jeans on, an axe and like 12 dogs around him, I'm there. (laughs) <laughs> but you need to check him out, and he's okay. he's lovely. But Lee Asher, he's Canadian. It's kind of sexy. 
so obviously you knew from a very young age that you wanted to be in fashion. When did that sort of go from being sort of child's play, if you like? I know it's a bit more than that. Um, but um, when did it go from that to becoming something sort of serious and you could see that this was going to become your career? Well, I had two career oh. options, Buddy's yawning. Um, I had cre- two career options, which was I was obsessed with dinosaurs, wanted to be a paleontologist or the fashion designer route. And then when I saw how much you had to study and that most of the time, so I did a work placement as a paleontologist and it was not as fabulous as you think. It's not Jurassic Park. It's a lot of time of just basically inputting data into a computer about bones. And I was like, no, I can't. That's not the career for me. So that was like a definite. And then I just, so I went to interview for colleges. I I went down both routes as in for the interviews. And then as soon as I walked into that fashion department, my mum and dad knew, they knew straight away that I was in my element and I was just literally living my best life. And I just walked in there and I just was like, almost like Charlie in the chocolate factory when he first walks in. And I was blown away because it was everything that I've ever hoped or wanted. And that was it. I was like, I want it. I want to, be, I want to do it, mum. I want to be here. I want to do my mum said to me, are you sure you want to do this? Because this is a really struggly route to go down in the arts, blah, 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 where you could go and study science, blah, blah, blah. And I went, and then my dad turned around and said, no, this is, he was made to do this, Jan. And that was it. And then they signed me up and I started enrolled into fashion college. And yeah, and that was, that was that. But I've loved, I've always loved fashion. Literally always loved it. I've been obsessed with watching period dramas and, you know, fantasy films and, you know, dreaming of being the designer of like a Star Wars film and the costumes. So Lord of the Rings, things like that really kind of inspired me to become the designer I am today and the stylist. The styling I just dropped into by mistake, to be honest. So can you expand a little bit of what you do as a stylist? So for me, I feel that styling is probably, this is going to sound so ridiculous to some people and they're going to probably laugh, but I feel like it's the one thing that you can help your mental health with you can go out and you can look at someone in what they're wearing and you can see what their personality is before they say a word. And I like that. And mm. the fact is, you know, there's an, there's a part in the matrix. That I always love the girl in the red dress. Yeah. They make a big thing about the girl in the red dress. And the reason why they make a big thing about that girl is because she stands out. And the thing is, is that's like for everything in real life. And you know, you're in the summer when you're walking down, everyone's just in black suits and Navy suits It's boring. But if you see a girl in a polka dot red and white dress or, you know, she's in a hot pink with green shoes. It just puts a smile on your face. And this is the thing. It's almost like you want people to perceive who you are. And a lot of people hide behind the fashion because they want to be shadows and they want they don't want to be seen. And I think that's the that's the issue with me. And I think a lot of people just seem to see fashion as a egotistical way of trying to look good. But it's not. It's literally whatever's in your brain inside it's your personality on the outside that's all it is and I think a lot of people hide behind things because of body confidence issues and you know just nervousness of going out wearing something a little bit different it was interesting that you mentioned body confidence because you do identify as a bear that's that's how we started chatting on Instagram the fact that you said I'm a bear and I'm happy to talk about being a bear in the fashion industry so with that in mind what what kind of things, how do you experience it in, in, in the fashion industry, being, you know, someone who identifies as a bear? I've never met another bear who does styling, ever. Like, I've been all over the world trying to find another bear who does styling, and I just can't seem to find 
there's bloggers out there and influencers, but there's not somebody who does what I do. And I think, you know, it's been a struggle because I'm finding it as I'm getting older, I'm getting more masculine looking and more berry looking. I'm not getting the, like the little 16 year old pop stars anymore or the young brands. I don't know why, because that's what I made a career on was the younger generations and styling them. But it's one of those sort of things. I think it's, it's been a struggle, but now the body confidence movement has come in. It's, it's getting better. And I get a lot of people who book me, but you don't book me because I'm stylish. You book me because I'm going to make you look stylish or the client or the model, because I am not stylish. I feel like I know how to dress well, but if you saw me every day, I'm knitted jumper, t-shirt, jeans, jeans and a nice top. Jeans and a nice top. You know, hum, I'm from Essex. Hum cultures is in us, in our blood. But yeah, I just don't, I love styling other people. And I love the whole transformation of seeing somebody go from like a plain Jane to like the, the, the ultimate best version of themselves and seeing their face. It's just, it, that is why I do it is for their faces because it is the, when they look in that mirror and they see something that they never thought they could see, it's a beautiful thing and I love doing it. But as a stylist, you can't be on all the time. I mean, there's that, that great story about the wedding dress designer who she got married in jeans because she was like, I'm sick of wedding dresses. Yeah. Like you can't be the, the fashionista yourself all the time. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, in all our jobs, you know, we don't embody it all the time. As long as we get the job done to the, to the client, then that's that's the end goal, isn't it? Like shopping. For me, shopping's part of my job. And it's a similar thing like with my, with say hairdressers who, you know, when they're cutting all their mates hair for free, that's like an accountant doing all their mates accounts for free. That's like a chef doing like all their meals a week for free. It's just, I get a lot of friends who are like, oh, what can you help me? I've got an event to go to. And I don't mind doing it. But, you know, when it's like every bloody event, mm-hmm. every event. And, you know, and some of these people don't, they barely even like my content on social media. And I just yeah. sit there and think, oh, you know, and I end up giving it to them for free and helping them and spending like an hour while they're on FaceTime going through their wardrobe because they don't know what to wear. So it does get monotonous sometimes. So that's why when I come home, a lot of the time I shut off, close that door and turn my phone on airplane mode and just spend time with me because it is a very stressful industry to be in, especially on your body confidence. So um, what about the other way around? So you mentioned that you haven't found a bear in the fashion industry. Do you find fashion guys in the bear world? There's fashionable guys in the bear world, very fashionable guys. Like I've seen so many incredible, like who, especially the 80s vibe that a lot of them are doing with, you know, the George Michael earring and then the cut off denim the dad shirts and the cut off denim shorts like for me i love that because that's the stuff i wear in the summer um and things i've been wearing for like 10 years when everyone was taking the piss out of me and i was wearing those hawaiian shirts 10 15 years ago printed shirts floral shirts and everyone was laughing at me and now you're all caught up finally so and i've got about 40 printed shirts now because i've had them for so many years but (laughs) it's one of those sort of things i think there is so many fashionable people out there i just don't think there's a massive market there's a massive market for plus size women stylists and people in fashion. I just think it's the last part to kind of catch up is the plus size men. Cause it's all those big and tall fruit, the loom t-shirts. You go to those factories, Giacomo. you buy your 5XLT. Yeah. You know, Giacomo, that kind of stuff. Giacomo, I think is probably the best range of stuff to get for big guys because 
they've got a lot of the brand stuff, Fred Perry, Nike, Adidas, things like that, that they do in the sizes that other brands don't. So I think it's good that they're inclusive of that. But for me, I just feel like there needs to be more done for guys who are plus size. And you know what the thing is? That really, really resonates with me. Let me let me go back to my story back in, um, in Argentina. It must have been early 2000s. And I remember going to a Levi store and having a look at all of these different um, all of these different jeans, I was I was browsing through them. I said, "Well, I can't find my size. I'm I'm a size thirty eight, so I'm, I'm I'm big, but I don't know. I I don't feel like I'm the biggest guy in the world. It's, it's no. a regular. It's a regular size, thirty eight. Mm. And I, and I go to this is well, I can't find my trousers in uh, these trousers in in my size. And so well, no, actually, the only thing we bring beyond a 36 is the 501s and you know what that story early 2000s really resonated with me in terms that okay so because i'm fat i don't deserve to have style i don't deserve to have anything other than basic the fashion industry doesn't cater for the larger guy and to be fair to this day i don't shop in levi's and don't get me wrong i know that levi's is probably what levi's argentina brought in rather than what levi produced i don't know but to this day I will not shop at Levi's because I think, well, if you, I'm fad, I still deserve to have style. I still deserve to have a personality and I still have a right to express that personality through what I wear. Yeah. When I was at college, I used to buy women's wear, plus size women's wear. Because really? you couldn't get skinny jeans back mm. then. So when they first come out, I got them from the women's section because I used to be the person that like in the 60s with the mods, I used to get the straight jeans, sit in the bath and then sit outside on a newspaper reading a book whilst they drive to my to my shape. So they were skinny. And that was just expensive and took too long. And my mama hated me sitting there with the indigo-coloured legs afterwards because the ink would stain on your legs while they were wet. So she stopped it. So I started wearing new-look skinny jeans. And then, you know, like when the hoodies come out in the early 2000s with Boston across and stuff like that, you couldn't get them as plus-size men. So, so I was just wearing... I remember buying from Evans, the Jesus's Evans. It was a size 20, I think. And it was Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt because I couldn't get it in my size. It's always been like that. And it's still, you know, we're lucky now we've got things like ASOS who have such a good plus size range. I I have to say, if you, I know it's fast fashion, but for a fact of, for plus size people, I think it's a, you've got a good range there where you're not going to be sitting there feeling like you're traipsing through stuff. That's not going to fit. There is... And they do a whole section now where it's big and tall or plus size or curve. And you just click it and only things come up are curve and plus size. So, and what's your experience in styling larger men, for example? So, because of course, as you say, there's some new ranges and and there's some brands that have ranges for the big and tall guys. But... I don't, there's always sort of a, a quite a limited selection, isn't it? So how do you find it uh, styling bigger guys? I enjoy it styling bigger guys from the emotional point of view because especially the heterosexual plus size guys because they really don't have the capacity to understand like we have. I think it's because we're in a community where it's talked about more. But with men, their emotions, it's so funny, but... I, you know, when I was on the show and I did um, Ricky, the guy from South End, you know, and he was putting off his wedding for five years. He put his wedding off for five years because he felt so fat. He didn't want to be, he can't wear a suit. And then for the final, like for the final makeover on You Are What You Wear, I did him in a suit for his wedding. And he was 
so blown away. And he was a heterosexual guy and never cried in his love. And he started crying because he was so emotional because he didn't think he could wear a suit. But he thought he was going to look fat. But I'd done tricks of some different tricks where I put a different color waistcoat to the suit to break up. So you have a thinner stripe going down the front. And he felt like a million dollars. And I think this is the thing is that a lot of the time, especially if they're heterosexual, they'll pull away from you as in, oh, no, no, no. Oh, I can't wear that. I can't wear that. I can't do that. Oh, I can't be seen in that. And I just have to work on the emotional. I'm almost like a therapist for them sometimes because mm-hmm. you have to break down those barriers of, of a lifetime of hate on their bodies. But I don't struggle to get clothes for plus size. I've got quite a lot of brands that I work with. And there's so many brands now. It just depends because of budgets. If it's a, I don't know, an average person looking to do their wardrobe up, you're going to go more high street. Um, but there is a lot more design and stuff. There's still a long way to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're better than 10 years ago, 100%. Well, I suppose, despite what you said about your friends asking for free fashion advice before, I suppose it'd be a bit of a miss of us not to get you on the show and then not seek out some uh, fashion tips for ourselves. And, and to be fair, if you see my social media throughout the years, God, there's some <laughs> faux pas there. Well, I mean, I think we are king and king or king and queen or queen and queen of jeans and a nice top. You're the kings of T-shirts and jeans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've always strived to be original because I, I definitely agree with you. It's about showing your personality. <laughs> so if I'm wearing the same T-shirt that everyone else is wearing, then where's, where's my personality? So I always strive to be a little bit different, but God, that has gone wrong in the past. So tips welcome. <laughs> so yeah, indeed. With that in mind, we'd like we've got three up and coming events that we're going to be attending, and okay. we just would like a little bit of advice on as larger, thicker males what we should be wearing or what we could wear. <laughs> First of all, we're going to a summer festival, a music festival in Norway, okay? So there's going to be perpetual daylight. It will still be relatively cold, but I suppose the temperature will fluctuate between the day and the night. And, he's and what music is it? What kind of genre? So the genre is, Nor- is a mix of Nordic pop and Nordic alternative with general... It's in a remote island in the north of uh, of Norway, so it's oh, sounds really, like my really... kind of festival. I'd like to go to. Oh, it's amazing! It's amazing. I'll send we... you the link afterwards. It's amazing. You. We've been waiting for three years to be able to go, and COVID, and COVID keeps cancelling it. But it's very rural. They have the um, the smallest gay pride in any festival in the world because, of course, it's a remote, really, really small yeah. island. But again, perpetual sun, a little bit chilly. One of the venues, one of the music venues, is a cave. They also have concerts in the. In the um, parish church. But they've had big acts at this festival. I think they have had Sigrid. I think Damien yeah. Rice has played it in the past. So they kind of get... It's that kind of genre, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. So, I would say I'm really into, like, Western festival themes. And I know it sounds like a little bit cheesy because it's in Norway. But you don't want to turn up like a bloody Viking because that might insult some people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like that kind of either Jurassic Park doctor paleontologist look yeah denim cut down shorts i was saying the hawaiian shirt with maybe i don't know some sort of like indiana jones hat that's the kind of vibe i would go for because then it's comfortable you've got the hat to get always take a hat to a festival because it's going to be sunlight all day you want to have a hat just to cover your head and i would probably go down 
Look, I'm an 80s fan and I feel like festivals are the only way to go, like, feed the world, let's live aid it up and go, like, really cool in 80s. So I would just go, and it's cool for you guys. If it's 80s, it's like the T-shirt, oversized shirt, cut-down shorts, you know, a bit preppy maybe. But I would go, maybe one of you go more down the Western. There's some really good Western stuff coming out. Have you seen it? No. Like the proper old-style Western shirts. And, okay. You know, like... um. Dirty Harry, where it's like the suit jacket with the little waistcoat that comes up high. Yeah, I think you could rock that better. Things like wearing shorts with jackets and stuff like that. So you could always take that element and go a little bit more, but add colour. Ben, you should be wearing black. (laughs) On Sundays, we wear black. You're hiding behind your black, are you? I know, yeah. To be fair, I don't wear a lot of black, do I? Yeah, you're right. With a big ginger beard like me, you can't wear black. What colours should I be wearing? So your colouring, I would go more autumn colours. So I do colour therapy. So it's another little string to my bow. But um, with colour therapy, with your colours, I would go more sort of like the dark greens, a navy instead of a black. A dark navy would suit you so much better. Actually, if you swap T-shirts, you would probably, the colours would look Mm. better. Well, I had a really nice T-shirt on yesterday that my best friend bought me for Christmas. It's It's a blue... Royal blue, isn't it? I would say it was. Yeah. And it's got yeah. the um, the sound wave of New Order, Blue Monday, one of my favourite oh, songs lovely, across, yeah. across the middle. And, yeah. I, and I did feel really good. We went to the Shoe Museum in Northampton yesterday. You would love the it. The Shoe Museum? Oh, my God. Northampton, because obviously it it's, was the centre of shoe production in the UK. Yeah, well, yeah, it yeah. still kind of is. The, the museum there has one of the largest shoe collections in the world. It was amazing. It was really yeah. good. Yeah, and they've got all the shoes of the rich and famous. They've got shoes from ancient Egypt, like oh, modern I stuff. I, I was good. That was one of the options when I, when I went to university. The first module we did was a shoe, because that my, my university went to, they did a whole module on making shoes. And I was so tempted to go down the shoe like route because I love high heels and heels and shoes. I just love how, especially the whole thing of the Georgian men in high heels. And yeah, they've got all that. Men. They've got all that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, it blew my mind. I didn't know that high heels were invented for men. And makeup. Yeah, and, me- and makeup, wigs. Powdered wigs were all for men. This is the funny thing. It's just, it's only been in the last, I think it's since Mussolini in the 20s, in when he was in the president of uh, Italy, he was the one that kind of put across Europe the homophobia thing and then everyone stopped being as feminine. It was like that kind of thing where men should be men and women should be women. It was just, so it's not even been that long. You know, you look even through Victorian times, men were wearing velvet and florals and it just, it doesn't make sense to me on how extra these straight men were. And then all of a sudden we've got into the century of the gays and it's a problem. Well, all I know is that I wore my new blue T-shirt to the shoe museum yesterday and I felt amazing. Yeah, I know you're wearing black. I know I'm wearing black. black. Yeah, just go for more blues. All right, so... Green, aubergines. Oh. But not primary colours. You want to go more the... Like, you wouldn't wear a bright red. You'd wear, like, a a wine or a mulberry kind of colour. I have got a wine T-shirt. See, now I kind of... I kind of, to some extent, understand... Your frustration, Joey, with some of your acquaintances and friends that are requesting sort of styling advice <laughs> and so on, because we are now, and I'm really jealous that you're getting all of this advice. Well, we, well sorry. I'm about to go on to you now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, right, so you are quite well with the colours, but I would say that wouldn't you want to stay away from the primary colours because okay. it's going to wash you out and your skin tone will go more of a yellowy grey colour. You okay. don't want to look yellowy grey because you'll look like the cross between Gollum and Homer Simpson, and nobody wants to look. And I have like looked Gollum like that before. 
I actually have... it could be a good look but I mean... <laughs> yeah so i i think personally go for something like that and i just think more tailored on you See, I have an odd body shape, so I always that's one of the things that I always struggle with with sizes and untailoring of clothes. I always struggle with that. Yeah, but you can always get a size up and make friends with your local seamstress. They don't charge a lot. If you've got to buy something, like there's so much in stuff like the sows that you can get, which is cheaper. And if you're saving twenty quid, then what's twenty quid paying on top of that to have it made to fit you or you know, or the other thing you could do is get on YouTube. Learn how to sew and take things in yourself. Oh, you know what? I've always, I, I've always thought that because I want to be original, and I have ideas in my head that I should, uh, that I should start making my own clothes. But I cannot draw to begin with. So you don't I... need to draw. You could just literally go up, use an app, and cut out the shapes that you need. I don't want to say that I'm not good with my hands because I am good with my hands in certain contexts. You are good with your hands, Bambi. In terms oh, of, yeah, I saw Benny was nodding so hard and nearly had whiplash. <laughs> <laughs> But for Chloe. for certain manual abilities, let let's say I don't I don't think I don't think I have them. I'm afraid that I I would be an absolute mess with the sewing we machine. Got, we we are part of the queer community. We get that get out of jail free card to experiment more, and I think that's the best mm. thing now. And people, it doesn't matter because it's not like how it used to be when you saw a man walking down in a pink suit, and then it'd be, oh my god, I'm saying that I took Buddy for a walk in the summer, and I had. A, light pink salmon it was salmon for the straight guys it was a salmon colored sweatshirt i had denim shorts on like to the knee and a pair of just white converse that is it white t-shirt my hair was just short and curly take a buddy for a walk down the seafront and i had this guy this is how stupid heterosexual men are sometimes he went oh look at that queer with his pink jumper on. i turned around and the guy standing next to him had a hot pink ralph Lauren polo shirt on yeah. When did hot pink become more masculine than salmon? Mm. <laughs> like it's almost a skin colour. Like it was just, and I just looked and I went, "Dude, you're wearing a hot pink. That's Barbie pink. Are you seriously going to be sitting there calling me out for wearing pink?" Mm. And he just looked. His mates went, "Yeah, you're queer." They just ignored them, mate. <laughs> He's standing there. And this is what I don't get. So now I just don't give two shits what anyone thinks. I wear what I want to wear. And sometimes I experiment. I've got silver mirror shoes, trainers, and I wear them sometimes, and I Ooh. always feel extra in them. And I think this is the thing. It's just that always look. Find people that are the same size as you, celebrities, influencers, and find people that you like their style and they're the same shape as you. And just go on to ASOS, even if you buy nothing, and just order a load of stuff you would never try on. Get it home and just try it on. That is my biggest thing. The amount of people who just go, oh, I don't know how that look on me. Well, buy it, return it. You'll get it tomorrow, next day delivery, and you can return it within two days and the money's back in your account in a week. Mm. So I just say, just get some stuff. If you see, I don't know, a celebrity and you think, oh, I really like the fact he wore a, you know, like me on the front cover of Essex Living in that mint green suit. Mm. You know? When I first Beautiful. saw it, I was like, oh, I don't know, it's a bit, it's, it's mint green, it's a suit, blah, blah, blah. It was before everyone else was wearing mint green, so I always seem to catch on before anyone else. And I put it on and I was like, oh, no, this looks brilliant on me. And it would look great on you as well, Ben, because of the ginger beard. Mm. So it's like an olive green. That would look nice on you. Like a oh, you were like a well. human Viscount. I know. Beautiful. See? A snap. You've got very similar tones to me because I'm the ginger beard, but I've just got the brown hair so I can wear a little bit more primary yeah. colours than like, you can. You're like a little bit of a combination of us, isn't it? The ginger yeah. beard, the curly hair. 
So I ha- I'm the one with the curly hair, not right now, but because I, I try to... That's the thing, I, instead of... I've, sometimes I embrace my curls, sometimes they look like a mess. If I've got your curly hair and I've got your ginger beard, daddies? Oh, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Right, ne- well, ne- next be... scenario, next scenario. Let's move there on from that. There's some fantasy thing here. <laughs> oh, God, no. And again, I'm sure that there's someone out there who has that as a fetish. Do you know what? The thing is, is I can't, I don't get the whole daddy thing. I don't either. Because I just, so, someone called me daddy the other day for the first time. How did you feel? I literally went, <gasps> buddy came running over thinking that I'd hurt myself or something. And I looked at him and I went, fucking cheek. Block the person. Because I was like, I'm not a fucking, I don't even look 36. Mm. Let alone daddy. This person was like 28. Oh. See, for me, it's more conce- a, a conceptual thing. It's like, I don't know, I I have a healthy relationship with my dad, so do I want to do I want to be with people who can sexualise that mm, father-son relationship? Every time um, you say daddy... Crisp me out. I think of my dad. Yeah, it crisps so, me out. You know, you call me daddy in sex, I'm... Thanks, now I'm thinking of my father. Yeah. Because you just reminded me by saying the word daddy. Exactly. I respect it, but for me, I find it a little bit grippy. And you know what the thing for me is as well is that I've I've always liked um I've always liked older men. I mean this cougar thing that I have with with Ben here is uh, definitely not my norm or my history. It's a blip in the matrix. Yeah, it's a blip in the matrix. But I've always liked <laughs> older men, uh, older looking men. I think that when I was a teenager, I kind of wanted my men to look like men, not like boys. So I kind of always fancied the older guys, but it was just a w- a, a way that they looked and they behaved, the moment that someone says, oh, he's a daddy for me, it's like, oh, I shiver. It's like, oh, no. I know. I know, it is terrible. I'm going through a transition on my sexuality at the moment because I, someone asked me a question in an interview and it just, I couldn't answer it. I just, they like, explain what you find attractive and I don't think I am gay. It's weird. Maybe I'm coming out on this podcast. Are you coming out as pansexual? I don't know, because the thing is, I find masculinity attractive. Mm-hmm. So I'm hairier, more manly looking, I'm there. There's more of a chance of me being in a relationship with a trans female to male mm-hmm. than there would be a feminine looking cisgendered male. Yeah. Mm. Oh, 100% because I find, I, There's trans like porn I've watched, as in that, and I'll, I find it attractive because they, they, it's the masculinity I like. Even though that they don't, there's not the penis part in there it's not about that for me it's about the masculinity so i don't know i I, i've always said i'm gay but when you ask me that question am i gay because it's like this is why i like the fact they've put pluses because i could go speak to a gay friend and say the same thing they go oh no i could oh but it's not it's more than that to me so it's more of a feeling a masculinity kind of vibe that they give off that I'm like, okay, I found some lesbians attractive. <laughs> but I've literally gone, cool, I really want to snog that lesbian. She's fit. <laughs> like, this is the thing, but she was masculine to fuck, but more masculine than me. <laughs> and the thing, I think that I'm glad that when we are not in that binarism anymore, that, okay, you're, <clears throat> um, you're gay, you're lesbian... Because realistically, I agree. And I think that I've been through similar situation where people ask me, well, what's your type? And I said, really? I'm not sure. And don't get me wrong. I, I'm just like you. I like masculine. I like hairy. But I've liked mainly men. 
But I've liked men just short, tall, skinny, fat, hairy, yeah. non-hairy. I, I, you just feel something with someone, and you do. And to be fair, it has to be said, I think that probably 2016 or 17 was actually the last time I, I snogged a girl. Snogged, oh, really? I snogged well, with I a girl it, because I just fancied it. I had sex with a girl. Really? Yeah. When? I was gay, openly gay. I just thought... I keep saying to guys, straight guys, you don't don't knock it till you try it. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I never used to like wedding cake, but I like the fruit cake now, and I used to not like tomatoes, and I bloody love a tomato now. So I think this is the thing: is your taste change. So I thought, mm, you know what? And I went to a gay club and pulled the fittest girl in there, and ended up having sex with her, and it was it was a nice experience. It just wasn't for me, but I tried it again because I think it's that kind of. This is the thing: it's just that. I think the thing with me is the sexual part is I like the fact that when I'm in bed with a man, there's no real role. But there's always someone who asks us when we're in a relationship, oh, and who's the woman? Yeah. You know, it says... There's never that. I feel like it's 50-50 in my relationships. 100%. Yeah. I'll say that I do everything normally in my relationships. So maybe I am more of the mother figure because I end up doing all the bloody housework, cooking and the stereotypical (laughs) bullshit. But, and then I pay all the bills, so I've got the masculine side. So maybe I'm just in a relationship with myself and then I've got a child that I'm... That's the problem with me. Is that so why I you're single? Up... You're, too, you're too complete. You do absolutely everything, so you don't need any, anyone else. Is that why you're single? I think I'm single because I attract people that need mothering. Mm-hmm. And then I get to the point where they're not giving me anything. And then after two, three years and hopeless amounts of chances and... I'll give them another chance after they bloody spent loads of money when they didn't have the money and we were supposed to be saving up for a mortgage and give them another chance when they cheat. It's constant. I think the problem is, is I seem to attract lame ducks and they basically need somebody to mother them. And I don't want that. I want to be the one that gets spoiled. I'm like, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be the one that does the housework, the one that does the cooking, the one that does all the fucking bills, everything. And then I'm the one that goes and takes you out and spoils you. Like, No. And you do the housework, I'll spoil you like a bitch. I'm not upstairs and downstairs. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that it bec- uh, to some extent it kind of becomes work as well. Because as you said, as part of, of your job, you kind of, when you style people, you end up being a little bit of the therapist. You end up sort of trying to take out the best of, the, of their personalities. So being like that in a relationship, it kind of becomes like that part of your job, doesn't it? Where you're trying to bring the best out of someone, like when you're styling. I think this is what's happened is I keep... Tr- because I, my job, as you've, you've literally, and I think I've just had a sort of moment. <laughs> I've just had a moment. You've literally just like the penny dropped. And I think after seven years of therapy, you've just said something that's just made me think, and I'm just mind blown. Is the fact that maybe I love helping people in my industry, in my job. I'm literally mind blown. I can't believe it. Welcome I've to been Bearback. I've for seven years, and you just said something that I think is just, I'm, I'm shocked. So let me just reiterate this. Yeah. You just said that the reason why I'm probably like that is because I love helping people and, and giving them the new version of themselves. So that's why I'm doing that when I'm getting into relationships and keep changing them to be these perfect versions of themselves. And that's not what relationships should be. Right. I'm over it. I've got no mental health anymore. <laughs> and I'm ready to mingle, guys. <laughs> I mean, uh, this is bareback. We uh, give space to people to come out as uh, semi-pansexuals. We do a little bit of therapy as well uh, ourselves. It, we, it's groundbreaking, isn't it? Yeah, all non-grounds. I would say that I'm definitely gay, but 
if I met the right person and they turned out, say for instance, I fell in love with someone and we hadn't had sex and then they said, oh, I'm trans, I wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me because I'd be in love with that person. Mm. And, and that's the thing. I think that that's very similar. That, is, that gets you more sort of closer to the definition of pansexual than um, a gay man and and I get it because I've always say um, I've always considered myself a, a gay man but if I weren't fancied having sex with a girl I, I would not now because we're in a relationship I mean, I'd just, be a like, bit annoyed yeah he, I'm not he'd be lie. a little bit annoyed a little bit. I'd be a bit annoyed <laughs> but I've, I've always said I, I identify as gay but I don't know for me the boundaries are not that clear yeah, but then you've got the whole thing of the straight gay, you know, the straight guys who straight gays. That was so like. I mean, the wrong yeah. Word. Straight gay. Stra- the stra- straight guys who are just they're straight, but every now and again they like to try a different kind of sexual experience. So they have sexual members who are straight. So maybe I'm gay, but every now and again I might go over to the pansexual side just to try out something yeah. if it happens. See, that's another fantasy that was ruined for me. They're having sex with a straight guy. I did. And to be fair, I did in about 2006. It happens that he came out like... It happens that he came out like two years ago. Oh, he did come out. And he ended up coming out. But I had sex. Having sex with straight men is so boring. See, I love it. And I've been with more straight guys than I have gay guys, if I'm honest with you. I'd rather (laughs) hook up with a straight guy because I know that I won't fall in love with them because there's no emotion there because they're just experimenting. And I also like the fact that I'm... Again... Penny dropped. It's the thing of their first time, me being like a teacher and being like, you're okay, calming them down, making them feel good and letting them have a... The thing is, the reason why I like being a guy's first time is because I know I'm going to give them a time that they're always going to remember and it's going to be nice because most of us, our first time was awful. Oh my God. Or, yeah. yeah, it was just embarrassing. So yeah. at least they go away with a good experience and nine times out of ten, I'll, get them, I'll bump into them or message them. They'll go, I've tried again with another couple of guys. It was never never the same and I didn't want to do it again after that. You are a mother figure, aren't you? I am. I think this is... Well, actually, I'm a Cancerian and we are the mother of astrology and I think this is the problem is that we put everybody before us and we are the most loyal people in the world. I'm not like hugely into astrology, but I would say I'm more astronomy because I've got the telescope. But um, I just, I, I think there is some beliefs in it. You know, that the whole, the tide controls the water and we're made up of mostly water. So I do believe in that, you know, in that kind of thing. But I'm a typical Cancerian and I am emotional. I'm I've got so much empathy. Like when someone opens up to me, I'm a really good person to talk to because I resolve an issue and get it done. And I'll take all of the pain and issues away from the person and resolve it for them. And I think this is the problem is maybe it's always when I do the gay podcast, that I always have like the, the best mind blowing moments in my life. <laughs> kind of like, well, I think, I think maybe, you know, 2022, you need to, it needs to all be about you. Well, it is about me, hun. Well, it's been about me for fucking two years. I've stayed in on my own for two years. I haven't had sex since March 2020. <laughs> March 2020. I now have a vagina. It's gone. It's, just, it's retired. Your penis it's has retired. retired. It's has it's gone home. back in for hibernation. It's just a tiny pee hole. That's all I've got there now. A <laughs> unique pee hole. But, but it's gone. Talk about mind-blowing moments. What astrological sign are you, Bab? Uh, I'm Pisces. Oh, okay. See, oh, we'd get on then. My dad's a Pisces. Four years, and I know, and I never knew what. So I always say that I'm, I'm just like you. I, I don't believe in astrology, but I'm a typical Taurus. Oh my god! You oh, that's a really that. good combo, guys. He said Pisces and Taurus. 
my most successful relationship, I'll say, it wasn't the best, but it was most successful, long gauged, mortgage, dogs. That was with a Torian. Very oh. homebodies, like their stuff. Oh like god, he loves he loves to be at home. Yeah. It's like if we go anywhere, it's like we've got to be back on Sunday so we can just be at home on yeah, a Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So we were now tomorrow, that's, so that's today a I'm thing that is. We were now tomorrow, so to, today I'm not moving from the house. Oh my god, I can't believe you stopped the interview there. <laughs> Sorry. You're, you're such a Pisces. <laughs> I'm such a Pisces, you're am I? S- such a Pisces. Now that I know you're a Pisces, I didn't know before today, but now I know, so you're such a Pisces. So obviously we recorded that interview with Joey, and when we listened back to it, we were like, we cannot edit this down for a 45 minute hour chat. We need to have the whole thing. So rather than put this out as a bonus episode, we are going to give you part two next week because I mean he's just amazing to chat to there's so many different wonderful things about him and his personality and where he's from and what he stands for and all the things that he's done that it would just be quite frankly rude if we cut it there and didn't play the rest of the interview or even cut it down to where it was so we are giving you Joey Bevan part two next week we just want to hear more from Joey and I'm sure our listeners want to hear more too well i can tell you one thing we go into essex and we go deep into essex deep essex for anyone listening from abroad i I don't know what that means but find out next week well i think if anybody internationally has been watching rupaul's drag race uk versus the world mm-hmm. you'll know that obviously cheryl hole oh is i love cheryl hole a massive advocate for essex she is from essex she is an essex queen And Joey, quite frankly, is the Essex King. So I can't wait for part two next week. Me neither. In the meantime, let us know what you think. You can find us on Twitter at BarebackPod. Yep. We are on the Instagram at BarebackPodcast. The Instagram, what are you, 85? (laughs) Anyway, you can find us on Facebook. Just search Bareback. Or you can email us. We are barebackpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow Joey on his Instagram at Joey Vevan. Yep, send him a lovely message and just tell him how much you've enjoyed his interview because he was so generous with his time. I mean, we had a pretty long chat before we pressed record and a pretty long chat when we pressed stop. So he's just a wonderful human being and we're so grateful that he took time out to be on Bareback. Come back next week for part two of the interview. But in the meantime, go to Apple Podcast or to Spotify and leave us a nice five-star review. Fives, fives, fives across the board. It really does help and we really appreciate all the support. So thank you so much in advance or if you've already done it. See you later. Bye. Bye. Skinny, fat, hairy, non hairy. You just feel something with someone and you do it. I'll spoil you like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs>